Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Move the Needle. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. I think it's because, like, we're right in, as of recording this, we're in the throes of Summer League basketball, and I'm just watching, like, game after great game, and there's excitement and fans and things, and I don't know. I think it's just leaching into, like, normal life. But I, I thought maybe you've been watching, like, the Game Show Network or something oh, yeah, and yeah, watching yeah. tons just, of Press Your Luck yeah. or something. That or just like all of the different hosts of Family Feud over the years. Like, you remember it was Louie Anderson at one <laughs> oh, point? Oh, yeah, and that's, definitely. It's funny because they showed Louie Anderson at a Lakers Summer League game last night. And oh, I was wow. like, whoa, you're still, I mean, it's morbid, but like, you're still alive? Like, I just, I don't, for some reason, I just think of Louie Anderson as like, he's been around, he passed on. Uh, and then I was like, wow, that's kind of a messed up thing to think. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's the start of this episode. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've got. Uh, just two update-ish things and then a little bit of a, a conversation that we wanted to have about this idea of like how much is enough and what does that look like as you grow from just working for yourself and working by yourself to working with other people, which is actually going to relate well to uh, my little update that I have uh, from last week when I brought up this project that Caroline and I are working on. But... Greg, do you want to kick things off with uh, where you are in your build without burnout journey? Yeah. So I think last we left off, I said I was going to take the build without burnout course, which is a course you guys have as part of your wandering aimfully um, program membership. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a member and I am uh, an individual trying to transition from one to one consulting to one to many uh, digital products. And so you recommended I start with the build without burnout course. So I did. Um, I am three. I'm in month three. Oh, nice. Or I, or about to start month three, I should say. So I did the first couple of months, um, went through the lessons and filled out the, um, PDFs along with them. But I will tell you, I'm at some place where I'm having difficulty, um, Focusing in on any one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I, I'd like to talk to you about that and see kind of what your thoughts are or how you've worked with other people on determining what product they're going to have or what audience they're going to focus on. So I think you guys do a really smart thing in that course where you have the um, person taking the course focus on the audience they're going to focus on before they get into actually building the course. And it was interesting because I I was trying to figure out who that audience was going to be, and I wasn't really sure where to take it. So for me, I'm trying to figure out, do I have a course that is um, – uh, applicable to several industries and several audiences, or do I have a course that I need to make specific to one industry, one audience? And also, do I have a course that maybe in general is for several audiences, but I do need to make it specifically for one audience because of how marketing works in today's world and attracting the right audience for that course. So as an example, I have a course that I want to develop about how to book appointments for your service-based business. And um, I have very specific tactics that I think 
one can go through on the phone to have a high conversion of those appointments that lead into earning that customer's business. That may be appointments, and typically those are like consulting appointments, right? So if you're a landscaper and somebody calls you and says, I'm interested in having you possibly do the landscaping for my yard, how does that call go? If you're a um, house cleaner and somebody calls you and says, I'm interested in learning more about you potentially cleaning my house, how does that call go? Right. So there's that kind of initial appointment call that is very crucial to the success of these types of service professionals. Um, and I believe there's a way to learn how to handle those calls in a way that leads to a high percentage of people, not only booking that initial appointment, but then leads to them choosing you as the service professional to handle that aspect of, you know, whatever they've called you about. So my question is, the the general gist of that course is applicable to several audiences, but do I need to make it specific to one audience? What are the advantages, pros, cons, and why is this hanging me up so much? Yeah, so this is, uh, first of all, Greg, your problem is very normal. And a lot of people go through this. I just need you to know. <laughs> um, a lot of people experience these same issues that you're okay. And they have the same uh, symptoms as you. Same symptoms as you. Also, if you have diarrhea, please call your doctor now. Uh, I'm sorry, I had to do it. This is this is so common. This is so something that we all deal with, whether it's building digital products like you're trying to do or whether it's just starting a business, right? And I think that, uh, what I think is going to be really interesting about my answer to this is you already know the answer, but what I love is that you're currently uh, what I call my friend Paul Jarvis, and he's probably going to get a couple shout outs in this episode because of what we're talking about, but you can't see the label from inside the jar, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're in the jar, you know, all the things you're doing, but like, you're so close to it that even though you have the answer, you can't see it because you're, you're in it too deep. And so here is, here's what you would do. Just like if you were starting a coffee shop, let's just say that, um, the best piece of advice you would give someone starting a coffee shop, especially if they were starting like right now, is just do it really well, keep the menu simple, and don't overdo it. Don't have a whole bunch of teas, don't have a whole bunch of food. Like You don't want to create a restaurant, you just want to create a coffee shop to start. Now, people who come in may go, oh, I wish you had some tea, or I wish you had some food. And you can go, great, we're going to take that feedback, and if we keep hearing it a ton, and we keep getting busier and busier, then maybe we can expand. But if you start with all of those things, what happens? You have too much going on. You can't keep up with the kitchen. You can't keep up with all these different orders. You can't keep up with all the sourcing. You can't keep up with the people who need to be able to prepare coffee or prepare tea or prepare food. Or, you know, it's all the different things. So the answer is the same for this. And the answer is pick one. And, and when I say pick one, I mean go like really deep into one of these verticals. So landscaping, physicians, cleaners, because the... The general kind of thought here is, well, I can teach the same thing to many people, but the problem is if you're trying to attract people to that site and it's not clearly speaking to what they want or need, they're going to disappear. They're going to go, oh, 
you know, this is saying, uh, you know, biz, small business owners who, you know, uh, you know, work with neighborhood clients or something, you know, I don't know how they would position or whatever, but, um, you know, it's like, oh, if you, if you go in a neighborhood and you're working with people, like, it's really hard to describe the generalness of this. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to show someone, Hey, do you, do you need to get better at closing deals on the phone? If you ask that question to a landscaper, they probably go, no, man, I just need to get more people's lawns that I can take care of. And so the the real thing that you want to say to that person is, I want to help you close more landscaping customers mm-hmm. so that they can really feel like, well, that that's my problem. I just need more customers and I need to know how to talk to them on the phone, how to do those things. So my my very long-winded answer is you want to pick one and you want to win and do that really well. Because what's going to happen is you're going to learn from the people who end up going through this first course, this first audience, and you're going to be able to see patterns. You're going to be able to see, you know, things that, that aren't working for them, that are working for them. And you're going to be able to test your assumptions about what you actually have to teach. So you have a very, as Liam Neeson would say, specific set of skills that you can <laughs> teach to these different audiences but until you actually do it on a scale, so when you do it one-to-many, it's it's very different than doing it one-to-one. Like, you need to see what those processes are and how they break down and how they work. And so if you tried to do that for multiple groups, you'd have too many variables. You'd have the tea, you'd have the food, you'd have the coffee. It, it's too much. So you just want to have the one. And, and here's the other thing, and I think this is actually going to curtail nicely into the bigger kind of topic of this conversation, is I actually believe... There are enough landscapers out there. There are enough cleaners out there that you could probably pick one vertical, just one, one group and do well enough. Yes, like you, if, if you establish what that means for you, which I think we're going to get into more, that is going to be a really interesting thing to figure out is do you actually need to even do any of the other ones or can you just really do this well for cleaners or landscapers, et cetera? Let me ask you this question. So I've got two questions. First of all, your Liam Neeson is spot on. <laughs> spot on. Yeah. Thank um, you. Thank yeah. you. Well, uh, when you watch all of the Taken movies, you, you kind of have to pick it up, yeah, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. You're great at it. Um, I actually have, so, so two questions. What happens when you aren't passionate about any of those particular topics? You're just passionate about them doing better at that specific function. So, so, and I'm wondering if this is like a thing. So like with Caroline, I can't remember how you guys refer to it, but it's something like soulful creatives yep. or something was her, was her target audience. Yep. Well, that's, that seems vague, right? Like it's not a, there's some, there's some pieces to that that are specific, but it's also wide open in terms of, it's not like a specific niche. Mm-hmm. And my question is like, like, I don't have a passion for landscaping. I don't have a passion for house cleaning. I'm not a physician. I'm not a construction. I don't run a construction company. I just know how to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. So does that matter? If, if like, like, it just feels, it feels a little constricting to go down this rabbit hole of only landscapers as an example. When I don't want to be writing blog posts for landscapers. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So this brings up a really interesting part of this. And, and then this I say is like picking something for you to create a business around in general, which is like, do you want to be creating 
the content, the discussions, and interacting with the customers that you know you can make money from or that you can help. And for me, that's always been a really tough one because I feel like, especially a couple of years ago, I could have gone the marketing route and I could have been like an online marketing guy and be like, I'm going to teach you how to do online marketing. I come up with crazy ideas and they get a lot of attention and I'm going to show you how to do that too. But you know what? Like that really wouldn't have resonated with me. And even though I feel like I could have capitalized on it, I could have built an audience on it, I could have built products on it, it just really deep down in, in my gut was not something that I wanted to do. And I do think that there is a certain point where you have to decide, both you, Greg, and the person listening to this, of where's that line for me? Because if I don't want to be doing this type of content, if I don't necessarily really care about getting more landscape you know, small business owners to go through my course... At what point are you going to wake up every day and go, man, I'm really excited to work on this or I'm really, you know, I I have some energy I want to put toward, you know, building this and learning from it and all those things. And 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 I think this is very much just our opinion. And I, I think I speak for Caroline and this is we have to really enjoy the content we're creating and the people we are creating it for. Otherwise, we can't do it. And that's just like a driving force for us now. I will caveat that and say that doesn't mean that you can't kind of go down the road that you're going to do. And so the way that I would say this answer to you specifically would be, I know you're not going to love building content or creating content around improving your landscape business, you know, closing customers, speaking to customers, like all of those things. You're not going to love it. But if it's something where the idea of it's been eating at you for a while, which I know You've had success doing this in the past and you just really want to get some income coming in the door every month that you feel like, hey, this is at least like consistent or I have control over it. Like I can turn the knob up and down of, of marketing and promotion on it and whatever. I do feel like you have to go for the lowest hanging fruit of what you can actually do and where you can put time toward that you feel like, okay, I may not love this every single day but I know it well, I know it works, and I should just spend time on it because the end result means more to me than just being happy about the work that I, and, you know, loving the work I do every day. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what's been hanging me up, I think, for several years, actually, is I've never wanted to be the fill in the blank guy, right? I right. don't want to be the landscape sales guy. I don't want to be the physician book appointments guy. I don't want to be like, I, I just, you know, and that's what's always hung me up from this consulting side to switching to an online course side or online digital product side is, is I feel like in the online world, you have to be that guy or woman. Right. Like you're like the, you, you're, you're the, the brand. Yeah. You are the brand. And when I f think about the physical world, that's just not the case at all. Yeah. Right. It's just not the, like, like if I'm selling a phone system for small businesses, I can sell it to a landscaping company. I can sell it to a physician's office. I can sell it to a house cleaning company. I can sell it to a dentist's office. I can, right. I'm selling the phone system because it's the phone system that I'm passionate about. It's not your particular business I'm passionate about. Right. And it's the same thing with me in this product or products that I want to create. I have dozens of them that I want to create. And it's the product I'm passionate about. You in your, I'm not passionate about your industry. 
I'm passionate about my product. Yep. Right. But my product will help you in your industry. And I've never been able to bridge the gap between how that feels offline when people call me up and are like, Hey, I have this physician. He's struggling. Can you help him? And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely can. Versus the online world where I have to attract those people to me mm-hmm. in a way of I have to be X guy in order for them to find me. Yeah. And so what is really interesting to me about this is I have not lived in the the like physical um, one-to-one working with clients, consultants, as much as you have in your life. I mean, especially with like the $10 on a laptop project, like you worked with so many people individually I've done it the opposite where I've grown a bigger audience and and let's quantify bigger, like, you know, 10,000 people on an email list, maybe small to some people that may be gigantic to others, but like, that's the quantifiable number that I've been able to build consistently for different things. And what it does though is, and you may feel the same way. I just feel it in the way that I run my stuff is it gives me the opportunity to turn the funnel on and off of both product creation and also making money. And I don't mean that like an unlimited funnel. I mean, it's like the opportunity to actually make money. But you may have the same thing on like, oh, I can always find another doctor to work with. It's just a matter of if I want to find another doctor to work with. Right. Maybe I don't want to. And so for me, it's like, I can always create another course on something because I've learned so much over the years and I have so much firsthand experience and knowledge. Like the marketing example, I could spin that up quickly, fairly quickly, and I could make money from it. But it's the nature of do I want to do that? And, and so I actually have a, a couple of questions back for you. Um, and I think you said you had multiple questions, so maybe you have another one. But one that's related re- directly to this is I don't think, and this is going to be a statement and then a question. <laughs> I don't think Greg Hartle as the brand, which we're all just brands now, essentially, I don't think you have to be behind this business at all in like the, hey, I'm Greg, let me teach you how to get more landscaping clients, as opposed to, hey, welcome to getmorelandscapingclients.com, we're going to help you get more landscaping clients. And maybe somewhere in there, it drills down to the About Us page where it says like, hey, this, you know, this is run by Greg Hartle, who has helped blah, 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 but like, you're not the face of the brand. Right. You're not the name of the brand. The, the brand is the problem is it's the product and it's the problem that's being solved. So my, my, I guess my question to you is, do you feel comfortable positioning the product in a way where you can go, I know that I can solve this problem with this product. I can step aside from it for the most part. And I can actually delegate out a lot of the, you know, ongoing work that this might take, whether that's content creation or just, you know, because that to me is the world that we live in right now, which is it's way easier to get a bunch of landscape business owners to find your website by having some type of presence on Facebook or by doing marketing in some way. And you don't necessarily have to do those things. You just have to have the product nailed down, know that it works for people. They've been through it. You've experienced that uh, and then work through that. So back to my question is, do you feel like that's something where you can show up for part of it as much as you need, but then delegate the rest of it and then feel comfortable that you don't have to run it full time? Yeah, that's definitely. And that's what I want to do and need to do. I think I just haven't, I just haven't, uh, 
thought of like it. Like actually yeah, or, or done it. Right? Yeah. Well, I haven't done it. That's for sure. But I haven't, I haven't thought about it in that context specifically. So I've, I've been trying to think about that very thing because I don't want to be that guy, right? Like I don't, I don't need to be the face of it per se. And I prefer not to be, um, from the standpoint that that to me is the difference between being self-employed and building a business, right? So I don't want to be, if I don't get Greg, this doesn't work. That's what I'm trying to get away from. Right. So, so I like, I like that angle that you're describing where I got hung up was, oh my God, I cannot imagine myself waking up every morning (laughs) and writing a blog post that would be relatable to landscapers, right? Like I, I just, you know, I'm not going to do that. I just know myself that, and that's what's always prevented me from making this transition is the client work that I get comes so easy with no effort, right? It comes to me and I don't do anything. People just call me and they're like, Hey, can you help? Sure. How much? Uh, $10,000 a month. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Right. And so I can't imagine a world like I watch what you guys do and I can't imagine a world (laughs) in which I'm doing that. Like I, where I'm waking up making that much content that is that specific to that specific person over and over and over again. And I can make the product and I can tell you how it works and how it's going to solve your real world problems. I don't want to market it, yep. I think is the problem. And and I think this boils down to a couple different things. So if you're looking at like the goal of the business, you know, for what you're trying to do is actually what a lot of people are trying to do kind of in the digital product business world, the online course, like that entire ecosystem, which is I can solve a problem. I can get it to a lot more people through this medium. Let me do that. Okay. But what does that look like? And, and for me, the answer to that question is that doesn't have to be an ongoing forever content creation treadmill. It's it to me, it's like it's a sprint to create the least amount of content that solves enough of people's problems as they're reading through some blog posts or, you know, through just a really long you know page or whatever that gets someone to go, okay, yep, that you've already spoken to my pain points, my needs. You've actually given me a couple tips on ways that I can fix this. And you've now shown me an opportunity for X amount of dollars that I can solve this problem ongoing and not have to think about it anymore. Like you're basically giving me the answer for a certain amount of money. And that to me is kind of the solution for your side is it's not an ongoing forever thing. Mm -hmm. I would look at it as like you kind of have this sprint, if you will, where you create enough content to really speak to the problems, you know, get a couple things out there and also play a little bit of the SEO game because that to me is something where not a lot of people just even understand what they're doing at all. So if you have some basic knowledge and you are going to create some content, you can win that game with enough just patience. And it really does bear a lot of fruit for you. But then you can also go, okay, once I've gone through this sprint of content creation, you know, product creation, I'm ready to go. Then it's applying the marketing to it and then trying to build as much as I hate this word, it's the marketing funnel. It's the passive income funnel, which is all I have to do is get someone to land on this page, which says, watch these three videos or read these three posts or or just download this thing. And it's going to help you 
you know, fix a lot of your problems with your landscaping business, for example. And on the back end of that, it goes, did you get value from this? Well, you can get a lot more with this product. And so for me, that's not a ongoing creating content, having to be the landscape, you know, Greg, the landscaping guy thing, as opposed to what Caroline and I do, where it's like, we live, eat and breathe running a creative solo business, if you will, small business. And so we want to create content all the time. We actually like it. Like we like the people we attract. We like being in the conversation with them. We like feeling relatable to them. So for us, it's really enjoyable to continue to create on an ongoing basis. For you though, it's not an ongoing creation as much as it's a create from the beginning. So you have enough things that you've created to build trust of people. And then on the back end of that, it's building that kind of marketing engine that works for you. Yeah, I think it's that reframing that really helps me because it seems a bit overwhelming when you're starting from scratch and exploring a a new way of doing things like I am, um, where it I just look at it and go, okay, this is going to be exhausting, totally, you know, and this is so so then I don't want to I don't want to try it right so. So I think that reframing really helps me. And I like how you've, you've set that up, you know, do the sprint yep. to get to that, that place. And then, you know, it's, it's somewhat turnkey. You'll make tweaks. Yeah, totally. Of course, but it's somewhat turnkey at that point. And I guess what, what is so um, interesting about that is it is so foreign. Right. So like, I don't, that doesn't work per se in the physical world in the same way it works in the online world. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, it's a complete reframing of if you kind of win a little bit of the SEO battle and you are positioned well, there's actually not a lot you have to do after You've gotten to that stage, but getting to that stage requires a lot of effort, time, work, et cetera, which always, it always will. And I'm happy to put in that effort. Um, it, it, it's more like the ongoing thing. Yep. So I think from here, what I'll do, you know, is, is, you know, um, figure it, you know, pick an audience, basically just, it, it doesn't matter which one, just pick an audience and build for that and do that sprint and see how it plays out you know, on a small scale. Yep. And, and then I, and then I can obviously adjust from there if I don't want that audience or want a different audience or add more audiences, et cetera. The one question I have to that end is, which, which was my other question for you is the other piece that seems overwhelming is this idea that I have to be so targeted that then suddenly I have 900 websites you know, and, and I'm managing 900 different pieces of content. So, so like, so like if I want to do this for landscapers and then I also want to offer the exact same product, but for housekeepers or house cleaning companies, right? It's so it's, it's basically the exact same product, but from a marketing perspective needs to be positioned differently. I then need a whole new website and a whole new set of content from a marketing perspective and, and I got to do it all over again. Is that right? Is that correct in my thinking? And, yep. and is that, why do I feel like that's so overwhelming? Yeah. So let me frame it to you this way. And I think, I, I hope this will help. We'll see if it does. So 
um, Johnny, our fictional uh, person, he both loves Youngblood Coffee. What was the name of the cleaning, one of the cleaning companies you used, Stone? Oh, uh, like Shine Naturally Cleaning? Shine Naturally. So Johnny, in the same day, goes to Youngblood Coffee and gets coffee and like a little sourdough toast and it's delicious. And then also has Shine Naturally come and clean his house. But a month ago, no way in any shape or form could Johnny have gone to the same website, to the same place, and both and been able to choose both of those services as ones to commit his dollars to. It doesn't work that way. They're completely different experiences. So when he was looking for a coffee shop to go to, he looked around at other coffee shops. He looked around at other places and he had to compare them and figure out, oh, this is the one that I want to go to. And then he decided to go there. Shine Naturally, he had to do the same thing. So as much as you are going to solve very similar problems, as much as you're going to provide very similar value, as much as you're even going to say some of the same things, just like the coffee shop would say, like, this is a handcrafted experience. Shine Naturally would say, we hand clean your entire house. Like, it's very similar verbiage. It's very similar ways of presenting the problem that you're solving in both of those businesses. But they have to speak completely differently and they have to live completely differently for someone to make a decision based in whatever they're looking for. Okay, so let me ask you this, though, because I think there is a difference here, which is the product is the same, though. Yeah. So so, so when I built, when I built my uh, voice processing company, right, I understood from a marketing perspective that I needed, that I wanted to target a vertical, right? And I targeted that vertical, say, insurance agents, Right. And I said, I have a solution for you that will work for you, Mr. Insurance Agent or Mrs. Insurance Agent. Uh, take a look at this product that will help your business. Right. And then I moved to a vertical, um, uh, property managers. Okay. Who manage like different, different, uh, homeowners associations. So then I moved to that vertical. So from a marketing perspective, I'm, Slightly tailoring my message to that vertical, but the product itself didn't change, right? The product is the product. What is interesting to me is what I didn't have to do, though, is I didn't have to generate any content or I didn't have to have a web domain or any of those things, right? Because we lived in a different era when people didn't go to the web to find a solution. So, so I'm stuck on this thing where I, I feel like then I have two products, right? If I have two websites and I have to manage both and both have a course on it and I have to re-record the course for that vertical, do you see what I'm saying? Like now I have two products, not one product. Yep. Whereas before, in my old paradigm, in the example I just gave you with the property managers and insurance agent, I only had one product. I didn't remake the product for the property manager versus the insurance agent. The product was exactly the same. Yeah. And so this is a really good example because uh, you bring up what would have been my counter argument to this point, which is there was a different time in a different era. So we live in a time now where everyone searches for the quote unquote, the best of whatever is subjective to them of the best being. So, you know, whenever you've purchased anything online, you no longer just search for 
I just want the best headphones. No, you want the best noise canceling headphones. You want the best headphones for airplanes. You want the best headphones for working out. You, you know, it's like we go, we can go so far as opposed to mm-hmm. 20 years ago. If you wanted headphones, you bought headphones. Like there, there weren't even that many options, but because we have the ability to search subjectively, to comb through what is really speaking to us as buyers. And I think this is where just consumer trends have changed Mm -hmm. over the course of the last 10, 20 years. I personally believe this is just my own experience and you could prove me wrong. I mean, that that would be a really interesting part of this, but it would take too much work. So I don't think it's going to be done, but I just personally believe the more subjective your content is to what someone's looking for, the better chance you have of making the sale. Because consumer trends have changed so much and because there is so much more out there for us to discern through, the more personalized and tailored it is to what we need and the problem we're looking to solve, the better chance you have of people buying things. Okay. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. I think that, you know, that thesis is correct Um, in my personal experience as a consumer and as, you know, a business owner. um, I guess I just was... I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around is perhaps I need to just pick an industry or a vertical and, you know, plan on focusing on that vertical for several years, even perhaps. Right. Like I, I, so this goes back to the beginning when I was saying like, so if we just defined like, what's enough money that you want to make from this project? Because that's part of this that gets really interesting, which is the infinite scalability of digital products is both a blessing Mm -hmm. and a curse. It's a blessing because, I mean, how many landscape businesses do you think there are in the US? I mean, there's probably 100,000, I mean, maybe more. I mean, who knows, right? right? Like there's so many. Um, So that's great because that's a a lot of opportunity. Now, the curse of that is, well, you know, you could you could just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow forever as opposed to if you really figured out and, and so this is actually what we talk about early on in, in the build without burnout thing and we we talked about this last episode too which was you wanted to i think make five thousand dollars a month from the digital product sales to start with so i think yeah to start with but what i think is interesting about that is okay so how many landscape business owners i'm just sticking with landscape because this first one that's coming to mind how many landscape business owners does it take for you to reach that number Okay, so if we say that that's maybe it's a a five hundred dollar course or training or whatever, it's ten. That's ten. If if we know that there are even ten thousand landscape business owners in the U.S. who are actively online, like they have websites, like they're they're tech savvy and what have you, you have so much opportunity to make all the money you would probably ever need to make just through the landscape thing by sticking with it, just like you said, for a couple years. And that to me is where, even though I know you could teach this to cleaning companies, janitorial, blah, blah, blah. If you just really did it well with one and you just really figured out what works in getting people to buy that product and figuring out what that kind of marketing funnel is, you don't need any of the other ones because there's an, there are enough customers for you for this product that by defining what that number means to you, you won't need any of the other yeah, verticals. That's the point that I think is the larger point in your right. And, um, y- you know, because the, the opportunity is, is enormous, right. right? Like you look at this from a standpoint of, Oh, I could kill it with landscaping. I could kill it. Clean. Like that's all great. That's all good and great, but it actually goes back to 
really defining, you know, and, and, you know, we talk about this a little bit in, in build without burnout, but that's kind of like your lifestyle vision, right? Well, if you know, and this is great that we get to have this conversation. If you know, having another domain, re-recording all of the content, blah, 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 like all of these things for a whole separate vertical is going to drive you nuts. Well, then clearly we just need yep. to pick one and we need to own that one and just win with that one as much as yeah, possible. And I, I, th- I think that's the, um, I think that's the key is that you can't, because of the internet, you can win yes. with just one of yes. them, right? Because, because like, like if I, you know, use going back to my other, other example, my other business, I needed both the insurance agents and the property managers because I was localized. Yes. Right. So like there were only so many insurance agents within my reach physically. Exactly. Right. And, and, and as stupid as this sounds to say out loud, uh, you know, in 2019, I don't know that, I mean, clearly I didn't kind of put that together well enough because I'm asking these questions right now. And I wonder how many other people are too. Right. So like, you're right. I mean, the, the simple answer is like, let's not overcomplicate this. Let's keep this real simple. Just pick a vertical, go deep on that vertical um, there's plenty out there. There's enough out there. Totally. And I think that that's where this gets really interesting of when you define, you know, so what we're defining right now within build without burnout for you is your product pony. This is what I called it when I was teaching that lesson, which is, okay, so who is that person, that ideal audience? So it's landscape business owners, probably like somewhat tech savvy landscape business owners. And then what is the product that is going to help them do that? So you're going to define what that is. And now, you know, okay, interesting. So I also know I don't want to be the face of this. So I know that I need to build a sprint of content and do that and, and then do that. But where this becomes the the real, where the rubber actually hits the road here or the grass on the, the lawn is now the journey, like that's one finish line you get to that right next to that finish line is another start line. So then it goes, okay, well, now I need to get a couple people through this and I need to see is this working in a scalable fashion? If I'm not there, if I'm not, you know, doing whatever, if they're going through and like watching the videos and doing the things I'm telling them to do, is that working? Oh, interesting. It It is or it isn't. Okay, now I need to tweak something else. So that's like another finish line you get to with another starting line next to it. Yeah. And so there's this journey of, of digital product stuff. And I love that you said years because you're one of the few people who I think understands that you can't just flip this overnight and do it, which is why our program is set up to be six months long. And by the end of it, we just tell you, okay, you've finished making the thing. You know the audience. You have all of the answers to the questions you've probably always been thinking about. Now is when the actual business part of this really begins, where you go, mm-hmm. let me see if I need to spend money to make money. Do I need to hire anybody to help me do this? You know, How am I reaching more of these customers? What does all that look like? And that is just the evolution of of that business as it is with all businesses that you start, whether they're digital or not. Well, and the thing is, is that I know this works, right? Not, not what I mean is, is like, I've been in each one of these positions myself, right? So I acquired cleaning companies and I didn't know anything about cleaning, Mm -hmm. right? I didn't know how to make that business work. So what did I do? I Googled, right? And what did I find? I found courses. Yep. And and what did I buy? Books, courses, etc. And they worked. And then I built my, you know, I applied my own creative spin to it, 
but the fundamentals helped me figure it out, right? Like how to interview and hire house cleaners, how to clean a house the most efficient way possible so you're spending the least amount of time. Things to think about like traffic, road traffic. You have to route your um, cleaners in a certain way that they're not stuck in traffic, right? Like I didn't think about that before I took this uh, one lesson that I took online. So the the... I think the audience is there because I know, I know the audience is there because I've been the audience, mm-hmm. right? And I know that those products work because just the fundamentals, just, just helping me understand that concept, right? Pay attention to traffic. That's important to how you route your cleaners if you want to be profitable. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have eventually learned that lesson the hard mm-hmm. way, but I wouldn't have thought of that up front, right? So, so you're right. I think all the pieces are there. I think what's always held me up is this concept that I think this needs to be available to everyone Yes, who can use it. And I don't want to have to be the person creating content for the specific person that I'm targeting. And I don't want to have to keep creating that content every single day on social media and on blog posts and on everything else like I see everyone else doing. Yep. Because that just seems like a miserable life to me. (laughs) Whereas I used to be able to just make a product and sell it. And now I feel like I can't just make a product and sell it because I have to market it every single day to this one particular person over and over and over again, 9,000 times. But I don't. Yep. Yeah. And, but I actually don't have to do You bring that. up a couple of really interesting points there. And, and one of which I was actually going to touch on, uh, you know, which may sound weird to say, which is like the entire process of build without burnout is not really made for you. Now, that being said, just like any course you took to help you learn how to run a cleaning business, you probably didn't need 90% of what was in that course or maybe 50% or whatever the percentage is. But you, but the like 10% or the 20% that really helped you, you're like, okay, well, this is totally worth it because I, it solved a problem. So absolutely, this is where I actually think like being honest, build without burnout is not set up for you. It's actually set up for us, right? It's, it's set up for how we, and we we're very honest about that. You know that like we want to create content consistently. We want to talk to our customers consistently. We are, uh, you know, okay with being the face of our brand because we want people to relate to us and talk to us. And that's how we build a lot of community online for you. I think what's really interesting about looking at build without burnout is okay. Yeah. All those things are, are good and well, but I actually don't need those. What I needed from this was, where, you know, what vertical to pick, understanding the nature of how this works, you know, some of the stuff I think is going to come up of like actually putting the, the, you know, curriculum together and all that stuff. Um, I don't think you're going to necessarily need help on like the marketing and sales stuff that we get into, but the SEO stuff, like that may be really helpful for you as well. Right. And so there's these little bits and pieces of this that are going to be helpful. And, and here's the honest part. I think you're probably going to actually need to learn from someone else on the, more passive income, more like marketing funnel stuff than we've done because we've never cracked that nut consistently. Like we've, we've had products that have sold on an ongoing basis passively, but it's not, it's not replicable. Like we can't, what Caroline's success that she had with her hand lettering for beginners course, which is a $20 course that teaches people how to do hand lettering. That course made, has made almost a hundred thousand dollars in five years. 
But we could tell someone to do the exact same thing that she did. And we just know because we've done it and no one has the same success. And it's because the stars mm-hmm. aligned. There were a lot of different things. We hit Pinterest at the right time. Caroline hit Pinterest at the right time. I didn't. I still forget Pinterest exists. And and it just, it worked for her. So I think for for a big part of what you're building, I'm really grateful that we have some of those pieces to the puzzle. But I do know, and I am honest enough with myself to go, I think you're going to actually need to get some of the other pieces from other places. And that's actually kind of interesting for me because I'm going to be really curious to know, okay, well, what have you learned? You know, like I have hypotheses, hypotheses about what you could be doing next, but you may find actually, no, Jason, I tried this and this actually led to, you know, like, I don't know what it is. Like maybe you do something with Yelp or, you know, I don't know, but you, you actually find something where I've never had experience marketing there, promoting there, doing things there. And that becomes way easier for you than say constantly being on the content treadmill or anything else. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, you know, I thank you. First of all, I think that's good feedback. And, um, uh, it does help me figure out, you know, where, where I'm getting hung up is I was getting up on two things. One, I didn't want to pick a specific audience because then I have to be the guy, the guy yeah. for that audience, right? Uh, which is not true. You know, I think what we're, what I'm learning here is that that's just simply not true. There's a way to do it without being the guy. And then secondly, I didn't want to get on the, I, I've always, I've avoided for the last probably seven years of my life, maybe, you know, 10, I've avoided jumping on the content treadmill. Mm-hmm. As you, you know me, that's my that's one of my worst nightmares about <laughs> the internet is the content treadmill. I don't want to post on Twitter. I don't want to post on Instagram. I don't want to post on Facebook. I don't want to write blog posts. I don't want to send you an email every Sunday. I don't want to, <laughs> like, I just don't want to do it, right? And it's not that I can't. It's not that I don't think I'd be good at it. It's not that I have plenty of things to say, obviously, uh, doing a podcast like this and other things, but I just feel like once you start, you can't stop. And once you stop, the money dries up. That's my concern. My concern is, is I want to have a stable enough stream of revenue that isn't attached to more content. And, and that's what I think is so fascinating about the world that we live in now is it feels like without getting on the content treadmill, you become irrelevant. And I don't know if that's true or not. That's what it feels like. I don't think it's true at all. I think the you you see and hear the people who are on the content treadmill because you have more opportunities to see and hear them, right? Like they have a lot of tweets, they have videos, they have pocket, they have all these things. But what you don't see and hear is like another Greg Hartle in another place in the country who is creating online, you know, courses for house cleaners and it just never comes across your radar. Like I, I, you know, what'd be really interesting to me is a good point. If you were to look, and this is where I think you're going to do some competitive analysis that most people that go through build without burnout won't do is to look at, okay, who else is teaching landscapers how to close more deals? And I've already done that because I had to do that to run the business myself, right? right? So I had to do that with lawn care, had to do that with construction, had to do that with house cleaning, had to do that with physicians. So I've already done, I know who the players are. And so what's interesting to me is, are all of those players the people that you don't want to become? Like the the like face of the brand, active on social media, all those things? Or are they just 
they just have those businesses and then you're just assuming that they're doing well. Well, it's a, it's a combination. So, of course. Yep. So I've seen a lot of them where they are the face, they're online every day, they're doing their thing every day. That's probably because they love it, right? Like they just, sure. they wake up and they're like, I do want to talk about landscaping and lawn care. Like I really do enjoy it. And so I'm going to do that. Right. And I, I'm trying to deliver products to those people. Yep. I'm not really deep in the trenches on those things. And it's just kind of this blessing and curse that I have where I just happen to know how to solve a lot of people's problems. Yep. And a lot of people want it and I want to give it, but I don't want to give my life away to give it. Totally. And I, you know, what's really intriguing to me about the time that we live in and how much transparency there is and isn't when it comes to running online businesses and selling digital products specifically is a lot of times we equate social um, content creation, social equity with positive business results. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times that is in direct disproportion to success of business because a lot of times the people who spend the most time tweeting, the most time creating content, the most time doing these things are not actually successful because what you realize is they're good at creating content. They're not actually good at the thing that they're trying to sell. Like that's just a thing that they've jumped on. And I've seen this time and time again, where you see someone pop up for six months. They're, they're like, so on the bandwagon of X, Y, and Z they're creating content. And then all of a sudden, like I'll get an email from them. Like, Oh, Hey, how's the business going? Oh, I'm going to have to shut it down. Like I only sold two or three of those things. Yeah. Like, but you grew an email list of 10,000 people, you said, and you have a social media following of 30,000 followers on Instagram. Like, what happened? Yeah. And it's because those things are not in direct correlation, but we think they are. It's just kind of like the social bias now of when someone is super active, you just assume, oh, well, because they're super active, like all this is working. It's like, not really. And actually, for 99% of the people, I think it's the opposite of what we think. It's just, it can look like it's being successful. So this is where I do think, and I mentioned this a couple of times now, you're going to win at this, number one, because you're smart. Number two, because you have firsthand experience. And number three, because you see it as years that you're going to invest in this. Whereas a lot of people see, okay, in six months, I want to be making $100,000 a month. Okay, no, <laughs> just no. Just <laughs> uh, like, yeah, okay, actually, yes, but you're going to have to spend $50,000 a month to do it. So if you're willing to do that, and you you can take that risk on constantly and the stress of that, then sure, there are a lot of people who can teach you how to do that. I'm nev- never willing to do that because I've tried to play that on a much smaller scale and it just doesn't work. Yeah. No, I, I think this is good. I think uh, this is a great point, a great place for us to kind of put a pin in this and say, all right, so I'm going to pick an audience um, and I'm going to develop a specific course for that specific audience. And then I'm going to do the sprint to create the content uh around that course and not particularly in that order, but those three things are going to happen. Um, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to do, we're going to play the long game and we're going to see how well this ultimately works out for me. So, yep. so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be at that place because I was getting hung up on, man, I don't know what audience to pick and I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to get on that content treadmill. And I think I, I've, you know, this conversation has helped me kind of resolve those three things so that, you know, going forward, I'll have an audience, I'll have a specific product, I'll have the minimum amount of content that I need. And, and then we'll just make tweaks and, and we'll see how far we get with it. It'll be, it'll be fun. That's fun. That's I'm excited about. Right. Exactly. And I think that it's so interesting when 
these conversations are had, whether it's the two of us talking through this or if someone listening to this goes, you know what? I've had a lot of assumptions about the way that I could do whatever I'm trying to do with my business. Let me actually talk to someone else who has partially been there or at least as someone that I'm on the same level with and and work through some of these things. And I think that that to me is one of the most important things that I've done in my career. I'm sure it's the most, one of the most important things you've done in your career as well, as well, is you challenge all of these assumptions that sit in your head that keep you stalled for months, years, however long it is from actually moving forward on something because our own brain is all it's trying to do is protect protect us from the worst thing that can happen. And what we start to realize when we talk this out with someone else who's been down that road or has some experience is you realize, oh, it's actually, it has nothing to do with the things I was thinking. I now have a whole different perspective on it. Cool. Now I'm motivated to move forward. But had I just let this sit in my own head, I think that that's where so many of us get stuck and we never actually make a move forward to then learn and then move forward again and so on and so forth without actually having conversations with other people and and staying just in our own kind of like internal minds. I agree with that. I think people spend too much time in their own internal minds. Um, I will add to that. I think you have to also seek out the right people, totally. which is not easy to do. Yep. So I can, I've had this exact conversation that I just had with you right now with maybe two dozen people. And I have yet to have somebody frame it in a way that made enough sense to me to move forward. Yeah. So, so, and, and I've talked to very smart people, people that do these kinds of things regularly and successful at them. But every time I talk to them, I leave going, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and no one has really framed this in a way that they believe that I could be successful without doing all the things I don't want to do. You know, it, it really... So that's interesting to me. Yeah, and it, it does bring up to me too of, you know, just a lesson that I've learned from myself over the years is I, I'm a very black and white person. So for the most most things in my life, I'm like, it's either this or it's not this. But what I've learned in business is that's not... You can't have that mindset. As much as you want to say, this is the way that it is or this is the way that it isn't, right. there are so many different ways to do things now. And especially now. You know, I think 20 years ago, when you were in your position with your voice processing company, there actually were only a few ways to do it where people would find out about it, where they would purchase, you know, like there's only so much you could do because there's only so much opportunity. There's only so many uh, ways to gather information and get information. But now we live in this time where there are so many opportunities. There are so many ways to do things. And for some people, that's completely paralyzing. But for other people, and I think that's where you and I really stem from is like, oh, hold on. Like I could, I could launch this and run this business in a hundred different ways okay, cool. I'm ready to start chipping away. I'm ready to try the first one and then the second one and then the third one. And I'm not going to judge the success or the failure of this project on, you know, until the 20th time when I really feel like I'm on to something and I feel like I've, I've got this going. And I think for a lot of people, they don't have that breadth of experience. They have maybe one or two things they've done. Those things have worked well or not worked well. And then that's the advice that they give because it's all that they know. As opposed to when you really open yourself up and you have lots of different businesses, lots of different experiences, you you start to realize, okay, yeah, in business, there is a ton of gray area, especially in this online learning digital product world. To me, this is this is where the future is going. And we're already seeing it. Like LinkedIn buying Linda for a one and a half billion dollars a couple of years ago. Yeah. I had an online course company before that, but that to me was the clear signal of, hold on a second, 
we're about to really disrupt education as it exists right now for adults mostly, but it's going to all change because the de- democratization of it and the specialization of it, I think, is really the future of where we're going when it comes to learning things, figuring things out on our own, not having to go and listen to huge seminars. It's like, no, I just need this problem solved for me. Let me sit at my computer and do it for the next three hours. Great. You just improved my business. Now I can move forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm so I'm excited. I, I want to see how this uh you know, I'll proceed forward with the um, Build Without Burnout course. And then, you know, I, but I think I've got the, the three big, the three big aspects of this are pick an audience, um, uh, develop it, develop the branding of this so that I'm not the focal point, and then um, do the sprint of content. Yep. Yeah. And then that gets you to one, dot on the map of this and then you start you know then you move forward sure, to the next yeah, one and so on yeah, yeah. exactly cool but, All th- right, well, but those are the three areas that i was having yeah that i was that i was struggling with because i didn't i didn't feel like picking one audience made sense to me yep. because it, the product remained the same regardless of audience and i didn't i felt like i had to be the guy mm-hmm. and i felt like i was going to have to get on the content treadmill for it to be successful so so I think the adjustment here, you know, that gets me to the next stage is pick one audience, ubiquitous branding, sprint of content. Yep, totally. Well, all right, cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll check in here uh, as you move forward, as we do on the Move the Needle podcast. Uh, do you want to you want to get a little update on BASFA, the project that I dropped on you last week? Yeah, remind us what BASFA stands for. Yes. So this is build a Squarespace site from start to finish. It is a three week project that we uh, are doing kind of live as it's going. As this episode goes up, it will already have been done, but it's fun to talk about it live as it's happening. So we last week started the project. So uh, I talked about in the last episode, we had this shift from this make 500 idea. And then Caroline sat down and said, I really want to design a website. And I really, you know, like, what can we do with it? And, And then we came up with this idea of, well, let's do that publicly. Let's create a fictional brand for it and then bring people along the way. And at the end of it, at the end of three weeks, we'll sell it in a unique way. And so we are, we're in week one, uh, Caroline last week, uh, went through, I mean, she recorded, hours of video as she was working. Um, So much credit to her because the documenting of the working is as much work as the working is, if not more. And we released two videos, which are about branding. So she created the mood board, which essentially like creates the tone of what the, the brand is going to be. And then after that, we have a second video where she takes that mood board and then builds a logo builds a, a, a whole visual vocabulary, a color palette, a bunch of graphic elements, and it's a it's a fully finished brand. And what came of that, which I think is interesting to talk about, is we had a couple tough combos of, about this. And as much as it can seem fun and exciting to work on a project like this, when you're working with someone else, and this is not going to be news to anybody, it's difficult. Even <laughs> if that person is the person you love the most in the world, if that's the person that you've worked with for almost like we've worked together from eight to 12 feet apart for almost 10 years. So we have so much experience together, but the problem is, is it's there, there comes a time where when friction happens, you really have to figure out where is that stemming from and, and why is that happening? So we, 
we were talking and, and I was trying to give her some pointers. So I'm very much like the technical from the documenting side, like the video, the audio, trying to bring it all together and have some type of like, you know, almost like a story arc through these videos we're recording. And Caroline is doing the work. So she's actually creating the brand. She's recording the content. She's talking over it. And we just kind of butted heads on how to produce this and how to get it out and, and what that should look like. And then we sat down and talked about that and we were like, well, why is that? You know, like, what are we really running into here? And I think what we realized is that in so many different aspects of, you know, areas where we've worked, there's been a hierarchy one way or the other. You know, if we're just building a website like Wandering Aimfully, Caroline is pretty much the boss. I mean, she is the creative genius. She has the direction. I am there as like part-time assistant creative director intern. Like my title is that long because I don't actually do anything. But, you know, we know that she is the person doing that. As opposed to, let's say, like, uh, you know, another idea. And this is funny because when I was talking about this, we recorded a conversation. I was like, I can't even think of any things where I'm the boss. But like when she worked for me for I Wear Your Shirt, <laughs> uh, you know, back in 2010, 11 and, or 11, 12 and 13, she clearly knew like that I, there was my company. I was running it. Maybe she should have sent some things and it would have saved us some stuff. But no matter what, like there was a clear hierarchy. So we didn't really have a lot of friction. But this project, as we are creating and producing and documenting, we're having friction. And what it boiled down to was we realized there is no hierarchy. We're on the same level in this project. And so how do we overcome that? And so what we did is we we flipped on the camera. We recorded a conversation, which we put up as a, a Wandering Aimfully podcast episode and then also as a YouTube video. And we talked about creating project values. And so we sat down and we really discussed like what is important to us as we are creating this type of content? What really matters to each of us? And then how can we meet in the middle? And how can we kind of speak the same language? Because a lot of times it's, you know, we're so in our heads with what we are thinking about and what we can create, we can't really articulate it. So how can we create like a vocabulary that keeps us, you know, even and honest? And so, yeah, it was a it was a tough conversation, but we recorded it. Uh, we we've, we've published it. We're excited for people to to kind of find that, especially if you collaborate with other people, or or even especially if you work with your spouse or your partner. I think it'll be really helpful for people to go, oh, you know what? Like we do have some of those things too. We should create some kind of project values. And here's how the crazy Zooks did it. We can steal a couple of those things for ourselves. So um, how do I, you? Quick question on that. So how yeah. do you guys? So are you saying that like where you're butting heads, is it that you are adamant we we should do X and she is adamant we should do Y and then you guys just disagree? Is that is that kind of how it goes down where it's like, no, I'm not, let's not move forward because I don't agree with that. And she's like, well, I'm not moving forward because I don't agree with that. Like, does it, does it create a stalemate? Yeah. So where I'll give you the specific uh, thing that we ran into. So Caroline is recording her screen well she's she's doing the work so like so let's say the the actual like brand itself so the logo and the graphic elements so she's creating those things she's recording her screen while she's creating them she's saving those files she brings those files into final cut pro the movie editing program and then she's recording voiceover of what she's doing and she's speeding it up and slowing it down now the problem is in between doing that you know she takes a break for lunch she you know lets our dog out she you know does whatever so when I listen to it back, it doesn't sound like she's doing it in one sitting, but yet we're presenting it as if she's doing it in one sitting. So the audio changes, uh, her kind of her excitement changes throughout. She's a little tired because she probably recorded one part and like slotted it in. And so what I brought up to her was, hey, 
What if you kind of look at that as the first draft, then re-record it and just do it as like, you know, 15 really good minutes where you don't get up, you don't leave, you don't do whatever. And we get like super clean audio that's consistent and on the same energy level and everything else. Well, you can imagine what that type of feedback would feel like for someone who is doing all of this work. It didn't, it didn't go over well was, is the, uh, the spoiler there. Um, and so she was like, this is good enough. And, and my point to her was, yeah, but anyone can do good enough. We like, we don't do good enough around the Zook household, you know, like we, <laughs> right, we, right. we have a very specific set of skills, uh, bringing back Liam. And, and that is where we really started to butt heads is she was like, yeah, but I, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like it, it's, right. I want to be done with this and I want to move forward. And I'm on the other side going, yeah, but I want it to be better than most people can do. And so that's where we really had to have a conversation of, okay, well, what does that actually mean? And, What's your and how, standard? Exactly. And if our standards are slightly different in some of this stuff, and so like my standards for audio and video are different because I have so much baggage with it. I've created so many videos over the years that I have an ear for these things and I just care. Like it really matters to me just as much as Caroline cares about how a logo looks, how a visual vocabulary looks, how these graphic element looks. She'll take it to a place beyond what I would probably do or even be able to do. So it was really about sitting down and, and addressing what that meant to each of us and then coming up with a way where we said, okay, okay, here's how we now can talk about this moving forward. But also we need to have conversations beforehand, before we even get started, that set the stage because yeah. that's the really important part. That is the important part. That That is good feedback actually for me before I start building my course. Yes. Right? So defining the values for that particular project I think is an important exercise to go through before I start. Yep. Otherwise, I will compromise with myself, even just being solo, right? And then I won't produce the quality of work, perhaps, that I could or should. And or I need to know where, the, where I'm willing to give before I start. Yep. Right. So I like that, that concept. So you guys went through like an exercise to create values. For the project, basically. And what's fun about what you just brought up is you're actually going to run into and build without burnout because we've been through that specifically with creating <laughs> online courses. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you're, I actually love that you brought that up because you're going to stumble. You're be like, Oh, here's how the Zooks handle this. Like, here's how they think about it. And here's how you actually think that through before you just jump in and start writing lessons or recording whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's good. I'm, I'm excited that you'll, you know, we resonate with thinking about that for this specific problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, so yeah, when, when we sat down, we basically just went through, you know, what are the most important things for you? What are the most important things for me? And then where do we meet on those? And, and so one of them that we talked about, like one of our project values that we have and that we are, are going to like make sure we stay up on is fun. Like we want a project to be fun. And even if it's difficult, we still want to keep a threshold of fun. And, and this is very intuition based, but because mm -hmm. we know each other and we've worked for years together, we can speak the same intuition a little bit. So we're kind of creating this baseline of a project has to stay at 75% fun. And I know that that sounds so arbitrary, but to us, we get it. Like we know what that feels like and what that means. And we just have to check in with each other. So if, if Caroline's in the weeds with recording something or redoing something, whatever, I want to check in with her and go, Hey, are you still above 75%? And if she's not, 
then we need to talk about, okay, well, what happened? And can I help with anything? Is there anything I can you know do with this? Or do, are you at like 50% fun level and you need to take a break to kind of recharge the batteries and come back to this with fresh eyes and go, I don't want to hate this project. Let me just step away for a minute and then come back. So that was one of the ones that we just kind of stumbled upon, but it made sense to us as we talked through it, that that's a really important value for us to have as we're creating and building and, and sharing things. Well, what I think is interesting, there's two things that are interesting to me about this, which is it's very similar. It's, it's, it's culture in a business, basically, which are, which are the unwritten rules, right? So it's, it's how we do things around here, but they need to be written. You need to have a starting point that's in, in writing so that you have kind of a way to explain this to new people or, or, or follow through with this when you, when you kind of go off course, right? It helps you. It, it's your North star. It gets you back to who you are and what you're trying to do. Yep. And, and some of that is nebulous, right? Like some of it is more intuitive, a feeling, you know, when you have it, you know, when you don't, um, which I, which we can maybe go into in a, in another episode, um, of this podcast where how, how you establish that kind of culture in an organization and, and how you transmute it from founders to the rest of the people you work with, which is not an easy task. Uh, but the other thing I find interesting about this is, um, I don't know if it's the nature of you two or that you two are such creative beings or the culture of these types of businesses that are being built today, like your business, which is, you know, unconventional compared to, you know, more traditional business over the years. But what I find interesting about this conversation is there's a lot of people out there, a lot of business owners, a lot of people I know who own businesses that would be like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like this is Mm -hmm. like, you're spending a ton of time, like just get the job done, like get the Mm -hmm. work done. Like you're spending a ton of time worried about how you feel about it and why you guys are disagreeing. It's almost like a therapy session. Right. And what I find interesting about that is I don't know if the culture has changed to where it seems to me the culture has changed to where if you're going to be a business owner in today's world, you need to be cognizant of this right here, like what you and Caroline went through, where there's a different way to handle it than the old, um, stale way of just shut up and do your job, you know, Mm -hmm. or just do your work, which I just find interesting. I don't, I don't know where to explore that, but, but I've seen that many times over in businesses that I've consulted with recently where the owners are like, you gotta be kidding me, you know, (laughs) like, no, no, no. Like I'm not doing that or we're not doing that, or I'm not investing time in that, or I'm not investing money in that, or, or it's just millennials, you know, or whatever the phrase is that they're going to say. But there seems to be a shift in what people care about in business and and what we as entrepreneurs need to be thinking about. But then the other side of that is, is what's too far? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you guys just decide, okay, we're, we've resolved this and now we're getting back to work. And, and it's not just, uh, it doesn't turn into, I need to have a safe space, um, culture that we've kind of created for ourselves now 
where everyone just wants to complain if they're not living the greatest life <laughs> imaginable. You know what yeah. I mean? Their best life all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I just, this to me is, is how our entire like world has changed, right? Like the, the change in how we communicate, the change in how we access information, the change in how we see work. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, the nine to five job was the job. I mean, that's it. Like other people who worked outside of that, it, it, it was very far and few between. But now we live in a place where so many people experience work so differently and you can work so differently that what you see is even a nine to five job can't just be a nine to five job anymore. It has to at least have some type of lifestyle component that doesn't suck because otherwise someone's going to go, all right, well, screw this. I'm not going to work for this company. I'm going to try and work for myself then because it's way easier to do that now than it's ever been. And whether they're cut out for that or not is a whole different ball of wax, obviously. And, and you know that just from a lot of firsthand experience. And we do too, even just from having a big audience and watching people try that and trying to help people do that. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, there is a lot to this where especially if you work for yourself, I do think that your own kind of business therapy is necessary. I mean, it really is, especially if you live, eat and breathe what you do. And part of it for us is that, and I've said this for years, I think of retirement as stopping doing something that you hate. Like that's how I look at <laughs> retirement. And, and that's such a, it's a weird concept for so many people, especially people older than me. Cause they're like, well, you're nuts. Like you just want to work forever. And the problem is because what they view as quote unquote work, I don't. You know, when I'm sitting around watching hours of TV, all I'm thinking about is I would much rather be writing some really helpful article or I would much rather be creating some really unique idea or I would much rather be talking to Caroline about some fun thing we could do. Like that's what fills me up and that's what's exciting to me. It's not just I just want to make some money and then turn it off at a certain point in my life because what am I going to do at that point in my life? I know you know, I have familial generations around me who are at that point and they're bored out of their minds. <laughs> and, and you can see that coming for this generation specifically, like the millennial generation. You think they're all just going to retire at 60 or 65 and not do anything? It's going to be impossible. But I think this has something to do with doing creative type work. Totally. Though. Totally. Agree. Because, because the, the things, you know, what I've learned is, um, when doing creative type work, it doesn't fit in your standard model, right? So you can't just work, 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 work for eight hours, then show your work. Okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's your creativity is spontaneous. Your, your ideas come to you at random times. Your, your energy levels shift throughout the day and night. So this idea that you can just sit down, crank out work, turn it off go home doesn't really work in a creative driven society which which we're entering now right things are much more unique creative etc the other thing is is that um with creative work there's always an element where you're in your own head at some point no matter what else you're doing where what most people are used to and what i think most people still do because they don't tap into their creativity very much is they they find more value in the rest of their life mm -hmm. than in their work, right? So their work is just a means to an end. And so they're, they have for, more value hanging out with their friends at the lake or um, going shopping 
at the mall or, you know, eating dinner, a night out of dinner with their friends or their spouse. So the, the flip side of this is, is for people like us, we want to have our creative juices flowing and we're inspired by that. Most people can't tap into that. And so for them, they want to be able to just get the reward for the work and effort that they put in and move on. Yeah. And I do think that, um, where you, like where you and Caroline are at with designing these products and me thinking about designing this product, what I think is interesting is we don't have the tools, like the mental tools to know how to work in this environment. They're actually being created right now. Yeah. Right. Because the world changed so much on us. They're being created right now. And you guys are realizing that obviously, and that's why you've created Wayme in a lot of ways to help people give, you're giving them the tools they need to be able to think differently and to operate differently. Um, but you're also experiencing it real time, which is fascinating because that's how, why this happened, right? Because yep. you were right in the middle of it. This blow up happens and then you guys, but you guys are smart enough to say, not only are we going to repair this blow up, we're going to design a new way of doing things so that we prevent this from happening the next time. Um, and I think that more small business owners, especially those working for themselves, especially those doing online stuff or creative stuff, need to think about what tools they have in their bag to get them through these stages of creative work. Yeah. And I think you're so right. Just going back to the, the like suck it up and work thing. I just don't think that that, especially in creative business, but I think in other businesses too, I just don't think that mindset works for people anymore. Like I think that they realize that there's just, there's more to life than sucking it up for two thirds of your existence and just trudging through as opposed to figuring out like, Hey, this doesn't have to be this way. You know, like, you know, we don't have to be a cleaning company that hates our lives. Like there's a cleaning company over there called shine. Actually, that's that they people enjoy their work. You know, they actually like, sure. They don't love, you know, scrubbing a toilet, but no one does. But like the rest of it, the whole, like, you know, the way they think about, Hey, we're going to route you guys. So you always avoid traffic. You never sit in traffic. It's like they, there's a level of care and there's a level of right. pride that goes into that. So yeah, I, I do think that that is, you're totally right about the tools are ever evolving in, in every individual business too. And it's why we like sharing these conversations with people. Cause a lot of people don't like sharing that stuff. A lot of people aren't willing to flip on a camera and go, okay, we are currently at a stalemate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, before recording this, it wasn't going well. And now we're going to talk through how we fix that. And we hope that that is just something that a lot of people kind of tilt their head at and go, wow, I haven't really seen, seen anybody share that before. And that's interesting to me because I'm dealing with something similar in my right. life or in my business. And it gives me some context to, to work through that. Um, one thing I did want to touch on uh, too, that is a value that we have always had with our projects, which is what is the desired outcome of this project? And we talked about this on the last one where we had multiple things, but the one I want to touch on, because I think it relates a little bit to what you're going to start working on and what we've talked about a little bit, which is the financial uh, outcome. And so, you know, luckily Caroline and I have been doing this for a long time. So we're very much on the same page. Like neither of us have astronomically high financial goals for every project we work on. We keep our expectations incredibly low and we try and keep our standards incredibly high. And that I think is what is, is a really good balance for a creative business because you can control your standards, 
but you can't control people's dollars that they spend or, you know, all of those different things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have, and it's fun to say this now because this is going to, you know, air after it already happens, but the outcome for selling BASFA, which is the brand and the fully built website as a whole, our low goal is $500. Our high goal, I think we've kind of come to, I'm a little bit higher than Caroline, but not by much. And this may surprise you is $2,500. And the way that we're going to sell this is through a silent auction. So people are just going to submit their bids and we just have to see what people are willing to pay. And obviously we only reach the amount of people that we have in our audience. So it's not like it's going to be so many people who are going to see this. I mean, we're talking about maybe a thousand people or less are going to actually see the silent auction and, and be interested as a much smaller portion of that. But I think defining that desired financial outcome is so important because it can be such a sliding scale. And this actually brings up a question, you know, that I have for you, which is, you know, how do you personally define those things? But then also, like, I wanted to ask you, and I forgot to ask, you know, last week, which was, you know, for Youngblood and for what you guys are doing, you know, there's this kind of desire to be like the biggest coffee, you know, distributor or or company in the Midwest. And To me, I hear that and I'm like, I don't want all the pressure that goes along with that because I know what that takes. I know that that takes Mm -hmm. multiple locations. That takes a lot more employees. That takes a lot more sales. And and that means that there's just so many other things that go with that. And so I guess my question to you is, do you ever define project outcomes with a, you know, an actual like line where you go, okay, that is enough for me and I'm okay with that. Or is it more of kind of just like an open-ended thing? Um. I think it's mixed. So for me, you know, it has varied over the course of my adulthood and my career, depending on where I was at. Um, You know, the reason I uh, mainly left the private equity real estate um, partnership that I was in was because I had partners that wanted to go really big. And I didn't want to go really big because I didn't want my life to be consumed by that. So I backed out for that reason. The reason I've, I am pursuing, um, these digital products and this online coursework is so that I can keep it small. I can make enough money, uh, without overworking. And keep my staff very minimal. So I've, I'm, I'm slowly kind of working my way toward enough versus more. So when I first started in business, it was all about more. Mm -hmm. It was all about like, how big can I make this and how big can we get this? And then in recent years, I've come to the realization, I think I was telling you, you know, I think the, the real starting point for me was the four hour work week. Yeah. The, the four hour work week, what that really taught me was there's a more nimble way to live and work. And there's a way to pay for the experiences you want. Um, and that it doesn't have to be about acquiring more stuff and working more to acquire more stuff. And the four hour work week really shifted my thought process on that. I didn't think the four hour work week was particularly great on helping you work less. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the irony of that title 
is it doesn't really actually help you work less. What, but what it can do is reframe what you care about. Yeah. And that's what I think is important. And when it comes to young blood, so when it comes to where I'm at right now, I want to do these digital products because I want to have more control over my time. So right now I'm doing consulting in person um, or over the phone. And that consumes a lot of my energy and time, right? So, so I don't have that flexibility um, to work on it when I want to work on it. I have to work on it when they want to work on it, mm-hmm. when the other business owner wants to work on it, and when they have time to work on it, right? So I have to work on their schedule. And then I'm only doing one-to-one sales, so I don't have the ability to reach more people and make more money right? My, my income is capped at the hours I can put into it. So, so the coursework isn't about doing more. It's about having more control. So when I think about building digital products, I think about having more control of my time. That's what's most important. So if I can make enough money, um, to, to live my current lifestyle and, keep putting some away for savings and investing for my future, um, but get con- more control of my time, then that's a win for me in the digital product space. With regard to uh, young blood, I don't have to physically work, right? So, so how big or little young blood is, is almost an irrelevant to my personal production. And so I don't concern myself with how big Youngblood is going to get from that perspective. I do, however, ask my partners and encourage them to think about what happens the bigger this gets, what's the impact on their life the bigger this gets. Because sacrifices have to be made to grow. That's right. There's always trade-offs. There's always trade-offs. Now, I have the desire personally, or I'm intrigued by, I should say, um, the desire of my partners to want to be the brand in the Midwest. I'm attracted to that. I think that's fun. I think that's interesting. I think no one really owns that space. It would be cool and um, exciting to be a part of that. But I also know that I don't have to put in the physical time it's no stress against me. It's also no consequence if it fails, mm-hmm. right? I might be out some money, but that's about it. So, but my partners have to think about that long and hard because it will impact their lives greatly, right? So I've encouraged them to consider that. So I get the sense from them that they want to be, they just want to be a player in the industry, Right. So, so they want their peers to respect the quality of their work. That's what they're most after. And I do think that that you have to reach a certain scale to get that respect because, because you're just not even on the radar if you don't hit a certain scale. So that scale doesn't need to be, you know, a billion dollar company, but it does need to be. It, it'll it'll likely have to be in the multi multi millions for you to be a player 
with the likes of, um, you know, the other specialty coffee makers, uh, because you, you just won't be considered relevant. And I think relevance is what drives them, right? Relevance in the industry is what drives them. I think it's what drives most chefs, um, restaurant owners, you know, that, that are doing high end or specialty work. It's the relevance, you know, same with artists, et cetera. And they are driven by that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, uh, I think if you want to be a certain level of craftsperson where you are considered relevant in your industry and a real player in your industry, I think that's something, you know, that's cool to strive for. And I think that's what they're striving for. I, I agree with you that I don't think there's anything wrong with striving for what we should really just say is external validation. Like there's, sure. that's a inherent thing that we all crave as humans. And for some of us, it's a lot more and some it's a lot less. What I would love to know, and I don't think anyone has the data on this to answer this question, which is I only know from the people that I can see who are outwardly sharing, but like a David Chang, for example, every interview I see with David Chang, he both looks tired and says he's exhausted and overworked. Yet he's also one of the most respected chefs in the industry. But what has taken him to get to that level of respect is now worn him completely out. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or two, we see David Chang disappear for a while because the dude just needs a break. And I wonder what the trade-off is for trying to achieve a certain amount of external validation as opposed to defining what would actually be enough for your life and be enough for you to then go, Hey, listen, like our goal was specific. We wanted to be in 50 hotels in the Midwest. We wanted to have three locations and we wanted to make X amount of money because that amount of money does exactly what you just said for yourself, which is it keeps my lifestyle at the level it's at and it puts money away for savings. And it's not about having a certain number in the bank. It's not about any of those things. But by clearly defining what those things are, you no longer, because here's the thing, and, and I think you know this well, just like I do, which is there's always going to be another hill to climb. There's always going to yeah. be a stronger person in the gym. There's always a faster car to own. There's always a bigger house to buy. There's always more that you can do with everything in life. And this to me is the, the discussion that Caroline and I have all the time and, and where we've really just leaned heavily on this idea of enough, which is defining what we need, defining, you know, what that looks like and putting money away. And we're, we're actually very transparent about what that thing is. I have a post that's like 10,000 words long now where I'm cataloging every couple months what we're trying to do to achieve that number. And I just, I think that we see in society enough examples of the David Chang's and the different people who run these different businesses that have just worked themselves to the bone only because they're on the treadmill of validation and they're never actually defining like where could they just stop and then that would be enough for them. Yeah, I so I I have a different take on that. I think the enough lifestyle is one way to choose to live. I don't think it's the best way per se or the only way. And I think another way to live is to be driven by your accomplishments. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, even if it kills you. Hmm. 
I just, I just earnestly don't think that. I think that for some people, that brings the, it, to me, a meaningful life is it kind of supersedes anything else, including happiness, um, including relationships, including other things that other people would say that w- they would disagree with. I just think that there are certain people in this world who are driven by the meaningfulness of their accomplishments. And that actually is the appropriate way for them to live. And David Chang, you know, we're, we're using David Chang. We, neither of us know him personally. Um, so, so we can't speak to his specific circumstances, but, uh, surface level, perhaps somebody like David Chang, while they say they're tired, while they are exhausted, what drives them internally, what is at the core of their soul is doing those things and being that well accomplished. And, and I just think, I think of somebody, you know, like Pat Riley, um, the, you know, former NBA coach, now, um, president of the Miami Heat as an example of that. Or there's just certain people that are born with certain gifts. Uh, Elon Musk maybe is somebody like that. Um, like Elon Musk looks absolutely exhausted <laughs> all and, the time. And he, and he says he is and completely depressed. Yeah. Every time I see him and hear him talk and I think, and all I think to myself is that guy is living the exact life he should live. Hmm. He is doing it right. Even though I know he's completely exhausted and completely depressed, he is doing it right for his life and for who he is and for what's at the core of his soul. He is doing it right. And I know that might be <laughs> kind of an unusual perspective, but I actually really believe that. And I think for certain people, like I know Tim, my partner with Youngblood, and what is soul sucking to Tim is to do just enough and then kind of go to the park or go hang out with his wife or like, that's actually going to make him miserable. <laughs> the go hang out with his wife part specifically. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'm kidding. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, know what I'm know. saying. But I, yeah, yeah, but I, I think that's actually going to be more of a miserable life for him. Then can he use his, everything he has in his being to sit next to the person who created four barrel and say, I've created young blood and it's just as good as yours. Yeah. I think that is, I don't think that's ego. I don't, I think it can reach an unhealthy place, but I think if done right is actually the right thing to do for that person. And do you remember? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just think that's the case in, in certain circumstances. I was going to say, do you remember about an hour ago when I said, I'm a very black and white person? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that this is one of those things where it's like, yes. I, I totally hear you. And I, you know, uh, you know, I love that we have a different perspective on this and a different take on it. And it just makes me, you know, I, I, I think the examples of like the super high achieving and thinking people like an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or whatever, like those people were truly miserable 
in everyday mundane life. And and when I say everyday mundane life, I mean like yeah. if they just lived on an island somewhere and were in paradise. Like I think even for like the majority of us normal people, if we did that, it would get old after a certain period of sure. time. Like humans are just not meant to exist in a silo doing nothing like we're active creatures and we need stimulation and all those things. Um, and, and yeah, you know, maybe you're right. You bring up an interesting point here and it just makes me think that the way that I'm hardwired for doing creative things, expressing myself, starting businesses, putting ideas out into the world and just chasing those down and seeing where they go, you know, that some people may see that as like, you are a workaholic, you, you know, never take breaks. Like you can't even sit down and watch Netflix for four hours, which I can, by the way, like I can do those things. It's just, I feel more personal fulfillment and, you know, in, you know, personal satisfaction when I'm doing those other things. And that is how other people feel about the potential situations that they're in, you know, where this all come kind of comes back to me is, there are so many people that we see specifically, I think through wandering Aimfully, that have these societally based lofty goals, mostly financially. And I, we try and break that down. I mean, you see this in build without burnout of like, but, but why, like, what do you actually need? And, and like asking yourself what you actually want to be doing and what does that look like? And I just think yeah. for the majority of us, not the extreme outliers, most people don't go through that exercise, let alone actually question the stuff and the things that they are driven toward as opposed to going, yeah, you know what? Like I actually don't need any of those things now that I've really thought about it and talked it through. Um, I only need X, Y, and Z. And that means I only need this much money, which means I only need to work a four hour work week or whatever. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That's the difference, right? So the difference is, are you trying to emulate someone else who is hardwired very differently than you're hardwired? And because of that, you're feeling all this stress. You can't figure it out. You're not making much progress. You're struggling. You're burned out, right? Because you're emula- emulating somebody in society who isn't wired like you're wired. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're going to struggle while they don't. Right. And that's where I think the difference lies. Right. Like I think David Chang is living his, the life he wants to live. I think he knows who he is. I think he knows what he wants and what he's great at. He's not judging it against society per se. He might be judging it against his peers as a chef because that's what you always do as a human. Right. But, but I think that's the difference. Right. It would be like me trying to be David Chang Mm -hmm. and failing at it. And, and I can't figure out why. And it's because I'm trying to live up to an emulation of something that I could never be. Yeah. And that's, I think, the difference, right? And what I think you run into a lot, because I've ran into it as I traveled around the whole country, is I ran into a lot of people who were confused about who they actually were at their core mm-hmm. and what they actually cared about, which is very different from being ambitious yeah. and doing more right? Those are not the same things. So if you're doing more of the things you don't want to be doing and it's stressing you out or making you sick or making you depressed, that's different than doing more of what you know you are and want to be doing. It doesn't have to always bring you joy though. Yeah, (laughs) Like happiness and joy aren't the final answers meaningful work is for a lot of these people, 
right? And that's what I think is the difference. I don't think there's any amount of happiness that somebody like Elon Musk can reach. It's about doing meaningful work, and that's just how he's wired. And and the sooner he accepts that, and the sooner the society accepts that, the better his life is going to be, and the better our lives are going to be for it, for his life being what it really should be. And and I think that's the difference. So when I look at my life, I was chasing something I didn't really want early on. I was fortunate enough to discover that's what was happening. And then I started to figure out what was enough for me. I don't think like Tim and Alicia are chasing something they don't want. I think they're chasing exactly what they want and who they are. Hmm. And they, so, so I don't think they're going to open up 10 coffee shops and go, boy, it was really enough at two, right? I don't think that situation is going to happen to them. I think they know who they are. They know what they care about. They know what they want, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. And that's, what's going to give them the most fulfillment. It just has to be, um, but it just happens to be very different from what I want. Yeah. Right. I don't want that for myself, but I think they want that. And I think they know they want that. And I think they'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. I meant to, I guess I should have uh, said this earlier on too, of I've been down this place of following societal pressure and like wanting external validation. And sure. my I Wear Shirt business is a perfect example. Like it was great and it was enough when it was just me or even in the second year when it was two people. But when it got to five and eight people, I was miserable. It was, I, all I was doing was chasing building a startup and, you know, then thinking about getting funding and then thinking about taking it global and all these other things. And yet I was so happy years prior when it was just me. And it's because it was never about growing bigger. It was never about making a certain amount of money. It was just about me being able to be creative and weird and silly every day and to tell someone else's story through a unique way of doing that. And right. You know, had I known that then, you know, completely different trajectory. But yeah, I, I did want to just, you know, <laughs> mention that I'm not, you know, altruistic here and, and pretending like I've always sought enough. Like I've been down this path of striving for too much. Yeah. Well, what I think you are doing is you're sharing one life perspective that we should all consider. Well, we should all right? follow. The, I think you kind of follow. <laughs> <laughs> so we should all consider the enough lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And then we should play with that in our own minds, in our own lives. Does that fit me? Is that my personality? Is that my soul? Is that how I'm built? Is that how I'm wired? And I think there's a certain amount of our population that that would work really well with. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's another part of our population that that would be miserable yeah. for them. And, and that's the beauty of the world we live in now is we get to listen to podcasts like this. We get to hear from all sorts of people and we get to find out what resonates with us as we strip away what we thought was supposed to resonate with us and get down to the core of who we are. And now those people exist everywhere, right? We, what we were trapped in our physical location before. Right. We were trapped in our neighborhood or our school or our association, our local association. And so whoever was there is who we had to be. 
Right. Or who, at least that's what we thought, right? Now we get so many unique perspectives that, that now we get to consider who we really are and that we get to find other people that look and feel and talk like us and go, Oh, there are other people that yeah. want to just have enough. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Not everyone needs to be the Joneses and buy the bigger house or get the better car. There's actually other people that think like I think this is amazing. And, and that's what's so great about the world that we live in now. But the downside of that is, is there's such a proliferation of that that we're inundated and we can't parse through the noise to find the signal. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Right. So I think, I think you're, it's admirable to me that you and Caroline take the time to figure out tools for a tool bag and paradigms and philosophies to consider, right? Just consider this instead of this. Consider this instead of this. Consider using this tool, but not this tool. And putting that out on the table and saying to people, now consider it, try it, feel it. How does it feel? How do you think about it? Is it working for you? Is it not working for you? And and um, there's a certain swath of our population, and obviously you're attracting them to your wandering aimfully program um that are going thank god yeah. i found this yeah. you know like th- these are these are my people where have they been um and and these t- new tools are really helping me um because the old tools i was using in an old world weren't working anymore and we did that at the beginning of this podcast right like i was using yeah. old tools in a new world and it wasn't working and i was going fuck like i'm stuck yeah. I, I i'm trying to use these old tools in a new world and you were able to say hey 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 set those tools down, pick up these ones. Yep. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can go with that. Right. And, and, and everyone needs to figure out what that is for themselves. I do think there's certain people in our society whom, you know, the Elon Musk's of the world, if you will, whom, uh, enough is not enough. Yeah. Like that's not going to work for them. Yeah. I, uh, very appreciative that you were able to spin that back around to the beginning of this. I mean, that is just a veteran podcast move, my friend. Like, doesn't <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that? That was that was solid. I, I'm like the I'm like the uh, Doris Burke yes. of uh, <laughs> yeah. podcasts. Yeah, great job. Who, who's phenomenal? Uh, oh, I love her so much. I tweeted at her when I was literally watching the summer league game felt the earthquake. She felt the earthquake live on the air and then had to be petrified, but then on the air (laughs) continuing to talk. And it was so bizarre, but I was like, way to handle this with grace. Like you just are such a talent, uh, you know, and her co-host, he did okay too, but he really stumbled and he was kind of doing whatever, but, uh, yes, you, you are the Doris (laughs) Burke of our podcast. No doubt. Um, Uh, I think I'm going to be the Jeff Van Gundy. I think that's probably a, for all of our, (laughs) for our like seven basketball business overlap listeners, like you guys are going to appreciate that. Yeah. I, what's funny is I would think I'm more the Jeff Van Gundy, the more curmudgeon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. older curmudgeon don't want to change my ways yeah. guy. But, uh, but you know, I'm happy to take the Doris Burke mantle, yeah. which by the way, we probably lost most yeah, of the yeah, audience we did. now. We did. Well, that brings us to the end of the show anyway, which is our moving the needle things for our lives. Um, I have a couple things that I wrote down here that are fairly quick ones, but what, uh, what's been moving the needle for you in your life, my friend? 
Well, I'll tell you this sleeping thing, you know, I, I, first of all, I've stopped my addiction to chiropractic videos. Um, So I have actually not watched a chiropractic video in a few weeks now, a couple, uh, like, like a week, like a week. Oh, I wish that would have been like two hours. I wish you would have said like, it's been 20 minutes and I like, it's been 20 (laughs) minutes and I haven't watched it. I broke the addiction guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think part of it was, so I deleted my Instagram Uh, Okay, and, um, in so doing, I just don't have access to it. Right. Like I would have to intentionally seek them out versus them just being right there at my fingertips, you know? So, so because of that, I haven't really been paying attention. Um, uh, I am sleeping much better with the combination of the sleep mask and the calm app. And I got to say, you know, calm is not a sponsor of ours, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, that app, those sleep stories are just putting me immediately to sleep. Like, interesting. I, you know, the, 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 the frustration that I used to have by waking up and going, Oh God, you know, here we go. Yeah. You know, like now I'm awake. What am I going to do? Should I read? Should I do this? Should I get up? Should I lay down? You know, uh, now is just, I don't even, I don't even question it at all. I just put my mask on, throw on a sleep story. I don't know what happens next. Right. Like I'm just, I'm just out. Like it's so amazing. Like, so nice. I, I still want to address my back issues at some point here. Um, but, uh, I'm just maintaining, man. I'm actually not trying to change anything. I'm just want to ride this out for a little I'm bit. I'm so glad that we worked through your, your Bobcat fear and we like moved into positive sleep results. Yes. Getting past that fear. I do have one quick question, which could unravel into a whole other episode, but why did we delete Instagram? Um, yeah, that probably could ravel into a whole nother episode. I, the, the short answer is I don't, I don't, those things are not that attractive to me. Like any product, I just look at Instagram as a product, right? And when it passes its usefulness, when it's no longer useful, I'm just done with it. Yeah. Right. And I, that's just any product. So, and Instagram just, kind of became no longer useful to me. Like I wasn't, I, I couldn't find a way to justify using it. Like I, there's just nothing that useful to me about it. So I just wanted that time back so I could do something more useful. So what do you do when you are pooping now? Because I mean, that's what Instagram (laughs) is for, right? Well, I didn't consider that. I actually have never (laughs) used my phone while going to the bathroom. I don't think so. I, as you know, I'm not much of a phone guy. No, like, you're I don't, not. Yeah, so you're, I didn't have Instagram yeah. on my phone, first of all. I only had it on my iPad. Yeah. So I was only using it when I had access to my iPad, which was when I'm at home. Um, but it just wasn't useful enough to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. So this is an interesting move the needle. Sleep is still going well. Calm app, sleep mask, really like getting some sleep going. But it's also move the needle in like getting rid of Instagram, like brings value to your life to replace like time that was just time wasted essentially, or non-useful time. I think that's kind of fun. Well, it, yeah. I mean, I like things like that. Like, um, you know, Instagram is entertaining, right? Like I, I would go on there. I would laugh. That was funny. But what I like more than being entertained is acquiring skills. And so like, for me, it was like, well, this is, just entertaining. Entertainment isn't enough for me. So I want to use that time to do something else. My big thing probably next is, uh, archery. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so I want to learn how to kill things with a bow and arrow. Okay, is what okay. I'm ge- is what I'm getting at. Now we could have you didn't have to go that far. We could have just said like I want to become a marksman and I want to be like really good art. Yeah. You didn't have to like you know you that don't seems- you don't live in the wilderness. Well, I live in the desert. Yeah, I know. But what are you going to shoot with? You don't need to shoot the bobcat. He's just hanging out. You're not going to eat him. No, no. I'll, I'll shoot small things probably. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep up on your uh, your archery <laughs> habits here as we get going on. Um, I do want to yeah. say I just had an incredibly hilarious mental picture of you trying to take selfies with an iPad for your Instagram account. Oh, yeah. And just constantly trying to get the right angle. And it just not. But like you're also holding a big iPad trying to do it. And it was just really funny for me <laughs> to think about. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that I never understood about Instagram was the selfies. Yeah. Like, I want to see what you're looking at. I don't want to see you. Yeah. You're just of a different generation. Yeah. Yeah. It must be. I don't know. I don't get it. You're old. Um, We're almost the same age, which is funny. Uh, Okay. So my move the needle, I have two things I'm going to talk to you about in future weeks. So one is a sleep mask for myself, but I'm not going to jump into that yet. So um, I have purchased my own sleep mask. I have started sleeping, but I'm going to cliffhanger that one. Um, The second one is we decided that we should probably buy an iron for our clothing. Cause we like, you know, our clothing gets wrinkled. And I had this moment where I was like, hold on a second. It's 2019. Are irons still the only way to do this? Oh, here and we if, go. then, then I got down an interesting rabbit hole. So there's a cliffhanger for that, uh, because that hasn't officially happened in life yet. So I'm just throwing those two out there. But the one I do want to mention here is I, f- I just finished the second book, and I think this is going to be a trilogy. Um, one, probably my favorite science fiction author is A.G. Riddle. If you have a Kindle, you have probably seen his book on, like when you pick up your Kindle and you see a book recommended, um, Pandemic, his Atlantis Gene, that whole trilogy, and then uh, something else. It's been very, very popular books. But anyway, his newest two books are Winter World and Solar War. I am about 95% done with Solar War, so I'm pretty much done. These two books, I think, are the best science fiction books I've read possibly ever. I would put them up there with the Wayward Pines series um, by Blake Crouch, which became a TV show done by M. Night Shyamalan, so it tells you kind of how good that story was, even though the show was ho-hum. But these books by A.J. Riddle, Winter World and Solar War, cannot recommend them enough. Uh, Whether you like sci-fi or not, just really great character development. Um, And this stuff moves the needle for me because I have just gotten so far away from reading nonfiction. And I love Mm -hmm. finding books that just keep my interest and that I can't put down. And both of these books in this series, I just felt like I wanted to stay up for another hour before bed reading. Uh, I like I'd wake up in the morning and I grabbed my Kindle before I grabbed my phone because I wanted to continue reading. Uh, they were really good. Wow. So if you're a science fiction nerd, AJ Riddle, uh, any of his books are great, but his two newest books are really good. So um, good conversation today, my friend. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed talking through what's next for you and your your digital product biz kind of how Caroline and I are navigating BASFA and all of our uh, collaboration, work friction, project value issues. And I look forward to catching up on some other things in the next episode. Yes, sir. Until the next one, everyone have a great day, great evening, great life. <laughs>